Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to be uh, we're going to be there in just a minute. But we are finishing up today the series entitled "My Name Is Jesus." We've been looking for the past three weeks. This will be the fourth week now on the biblical picture that is painted of Jesus Christ. We all kind of have in our mind's eye a picture of Jesus. Uh, both physical and kind of um, uh, pragmatic or uh, an idea of what he is theoretically in your life, the kind of person he was, the mannerisms he may have had, the, uh, the personality he may have had as well. Some people look at Jesus as being very kind of, you know, just kind of, you know, you know, very meek and mild and never offended anyone or anything like that. To those people, I would suggest maybe you should read the Gospels because that's not exactly the picture of Jesus. Also, some have the picture of Jesus as he was kind of a brass knuckle kind of don't take no stuff off of nobody kind of guy either. To you, I would suggest read the Gospels as well because Jesus came somewhere in the middle because he was all things in many ways to all people. But what we've looked at through this uh, series, we have been looking at the person of Jesus just out of John chapter 1. And in John chapter 1, we saw uh, three things that are described uh, as John the Beloved, the writer of the book of John, said. He said he was eternal. Jesus is eternal, meaning that he is limitless and you can't box him in. So no matter what picture you have of Jesus, understand this. Just work from this frame is that it's not big enough. Whatever you have in your mind's eye about Jesus or God or heaven or anything, understand that all of those things blow away any kind of human, uh, human interpretation that we can come to because he is eternal and he is limitless. We also saw that he is grace and truth. Not that Jesus just came to offer grace and truth, but he is the embodiment of grace and truth. Jesus is God's grace to man. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by him. We also saw that Jesus is the revelation of God to man as well. That God is so high above us and so lofty above us that man could not comprehend or understand him. He was a mystery until God put on flesh and dwelt among us. And Jesus came to reveal God to man. For the first time in thousands of years when Jesus was born, God had flesh on him. And man could see God, touch God, hear God from a physical standpoint. And for 33 and a half years, earth was blessed with that physical presence and manifestation of God. Then we saw, as we got in last last couple of weeks, we saw John the Baptist's testimony in the latter part of John chapter 1. When John the Baptist said, he is the son of God. And, and what's, what's valuable about the fact that Jesus is the son of God is that as the son, he connects us to the father. We know God and we come to him through the son. And there's no other way to God but through the son. You can't get there by the law. You can't get there by any other thing except through the son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Son of God, but he's also the Lamb of God. He was the once and for all only acceptable sacrifice for our sin. The only one who could die for our sin. The only one who could redeem us. You and I cannot work our way to heaven. We cannot overcome the sin debt that we're born into. We talk about the national debt that we all have. I mean, kids, the moment they're born, are like already hundreds of thousand dollars in debt. Because if they're born in America, and as American citizens are already in debt. We're born into a greater debt the moment we're born just by being humans. We're born into sin debt. And the only way to have that debt paid is through the Lamb of God, Jesus, who takes away the sin of the world. And last week we closed with looking at the fact that Jesus is the Savior of the world. 
That though our debt may be great, there was enough power in the blood of Jesus Christ and enough strength in his resurrection to redeem anyone and everyone who would believe. That when he died on the cross, sins were paid for everyone. But just because they've been paid for you doesn't mean that you don't have to receive it. We all individually must receive. And so that's the biblical framework just out of one chapter in one book of the Bible. Jesus blows away our expectations. And history has given us some pretty interesting and captivating figures uh, throughout, the course, uh, throughout the course of time. Usually the most interesting figures in history were the ones who are also the most polarizing, right? Very rarely did you find a person that makes the history books that people were just kind of looked at and said, yeah, yeah, take them or leave them. No, it's the people that either people loved them or they hated them or they made an extreme mark on eternity, they engraved, they etched themselves into the stone of time. And I believe this, and, and many people may argue it, but I believe this, the most polarizing, the most significant figure in all of history is Jesus Christ. Not just spiritually, but just physically and, and historically, he has such historical significance. Our time is divided on the birth of Christ. We go from B.C. to A.D. by the birth of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus is the most pivotal and the most polarizing figure in history. Um, Each of the pieces that we looked at from John chapter 1 are pretty intense on their own, that he's eternal. We can't, nobody makes that claim about me that he's eternal. You know, nobody makes that claim about us. They know, we know that we're not eternal. Nobody makes the claim that we are, that we are the embodiment of God's presence or anything like that. But Jesus, if you took just one of those claims, one of those statements from John chapter 1, That's pretty intense. That separates him from most other people. But you take all of them and put them together, you get someone who is unlike anyone else who has ever lived in the fabric of time. And so we cannot just look away from Christ. We cannot take a look at Jesus and gaze upon him and just walk away unchanged. He demands a response. He demands that we have a reaction to him. He demands that we look at him and decide, will I follow him? Or will I reject him? And some people say, well, you know what? I'm holding out. I'm, I've not really said much. I'm kind of apathetic. To not make a decision for Christ is also to make a decision for Christ as well. Everyone who comes face to face with Christ makes a decision for or against him there. You cannot simply look away. Um, the words, the work, the person of him demand a response. So that's what leads to the question that we're trying to look at and answer today. As we've looked at all of these pictures of Christ, the question gets personal this morning. What's your response? If everyone has to make a response to Jesus and make a decision or make a judgment call on him, what's your response? Not what's the response of the person sitting next to you. What's not what's the response of your spouse. The response of your kids. What's your response? And as a church, what's our response to Jesus, the one that we worship? Because honestly, our response cannot just be a Sunday morning response of, yeah, I'm going to come and sing some songs about him. I'm going to listen to a preacher tell a story about him. And I'm going to go home and say that I'm a real dedicated follower. Because someone that intense, someone this pivotal deserves every moment of our life offered to him. And so that's what we asked this morning. How do you respond to the Jesus of the Bible? So as we get into our text this morning, Matthew 13, the entire chapter, if you begin at the very beginning of it, it contains a bunch of parables that Jesus used uh, to begin teaching about the kingdom of God and to begin teaching these spiritual principles that for the most part in that day and age were kind of up here 
And some of the religious elites might have understood it. They might have been able to interpret it. But most of the people, like the, just the common day, blue-collar, everyday kind of people were like, it's over my head. I can't get it. And you know what? The scribes and the Pharisees, they liked it that way. They liked the people depending on them telling them what to think about God. But remember, Jesus came to be that manifestation, to be that physical representation of God. He was the common man's God. All right, He was God in flesh. And so all of a sudden, Jesus came and he began teaching in a different way. He taught in these parables, which is basically an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. This, by the way, is one of the things that makes Jesus so different from any other teacher or any other religious figure. Jesus was the first person in recorded history to use object lessons and parables to explain spiritual truth. Up until that point, church looked like this. Come in, the person would open the scroll, they would read it for hours, and then you would leave. There was no explanation, there was no uh, expository uh, understanding of it. There were no illustrations or object lessons at all. But enter Jesus into the picture, and all of a sudden, people are beginning to understand the Word of God and the truth of God and what God and God's will for them in a way they had never done before. And so we're going to pick up our text at the last part of the, at the last part. Right about the time that he finishes all of these parables and these teachings, the Bible says in verse 53 that he ends up those parables and then he goes back home to Nazareth, his hometown of Nazareth. And we pick up in verse number uh, 54 and it says, And when he was coming to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were, say that word with me, they were astonished. And they said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Or where is this guy getting this stuff? Where has he got all this authority to be able to teach this? And they say in verse number 55, Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this Joseph's boy? Is not his mother called Mary? Isn't his bro- are not his brethren James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Where then has this man all of these things? And they were then, everybody say this word with me, they were offended in him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country. And in his own house. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Now, 58, verse number 58 is tragic, isn't it? Jesus comes in, they're astonished, they become offended, and then because of their unbelief, the Bible says he was unable or he did not do what he had intended to do in his hometown because they were hindering him by their unbelief. Father, we love you, and I ask this morning that you would speak through the word. I pray as your messenger that it would just be a vessel. Uh, put your words in my mouth, and I pray this morning that you would open our hearts, our lives, our spirits, and our souls to what you have for us in this hour. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. What is the reaction that you have to Christ? The presence and the teachings of Jesus invoke some strong reactions from people. 2,000 years later, he still evokes these strong responses. So let's look at three responses that the people had, and then we're going to look at the one response that Jesus wants this morning. Uh, in, in, in verse number 54, we see the first response that the people had, and you uttered the word just a minute ago, was astonishment. When it comes to Jesus Christ, and when it comes to the story of his birth, his death, his resurrection, when it comes to his teachings, a lot of people, when they hear it, they're astonished. They're shocked by what it says. And in verse number 54, again, it says, He went to his hometown and he began to teach them in their synagogue to the point that they were astonished. They're sitting there and it's like jaw-dropping shock, okay? They were struck with awe and they were struck with wonder. That word astonished there in the original language in the Greek uh, comes uh, from a word epikleso, which means stricken or shocked, 
with astonishment. Meaning, when Jesus spoke and after Jesus taught, and we are led to believe that he used the same kind of parables that he did just a couple of days before in the other town. After he's done talking, there's like no, no, there's just not, not a sound. There's no thundering applause. There's not a sound. It's just the shock and awe of, of just, I'm taking in this amazing message that I've just heard. And how do I respond to that? It's kind of like dropping a truth in a message and everybody's just sitting there going, can't believe he just said that. And this is where they were. They were shocked and they were astonished by him. And the thing is, his message wasn't a whole lot different than John the Baptist. Remember what John the Baptist's message was? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus' message all the way through scripture was about repenting, avoiding hell. He talked about hell way more than he ever talked about heaven. He talked about warning people of the, the cost and the wages of sin being death. And so his message was not much different there, but they were still shocked. It wasn't a message that they had not heard before, but the way they heard it and from who they heard it changed everything. Their astonishment came from the fact that they were being convicted. Jesus spoke with authority and with wisdom that was unmatched. No one else had that kind of authority. No one else spoke in the way that he did. And as the words of Christ left his lips, they were the words of God piercing the soul. Some of you have been in that position before when as you're listening to a message or you read the word, you're just spellbound by it because you know God is speaking to me at this moment. I don't know if this was for anyone else, but it is for me today. And you know, and you're sitting there and you feel like he's just reading your diary. Like he's just all up in your business. That's the way everyone felt at this moment. He was different from the scribes and Pharisees. He spoke with authority that he possessed. And people began to, people began to wonder, what in the world? Where is this coming from? It's like he knows me. Remember what the Samaritan woman said after Jesus talked to her? She went back to the village and she said, come and hear this man that told me everything about myself. Everything that I've ever done. Jesus astonished them with his words and his nature and his authority. Jesus is a shocking figure in history. And like I said before, I love to study history. And I found this quote by Napoleon Bonaparte, who was the emperor of France back in the late 1700s. And um, when he was interviewed at one point by a historian, here's what he said about Christ. He said, I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, all, and, and I, we all founded empires, but on what did we rest the creations of our genius? We rested it upon force. But Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of people would still lose their life for him. Every single thing about Christ astonishes me. His spirit overawes me and his will confounds me. I search in vain in history to find the similar to Jesus Christ or anything that can approach the gospel. Jesus is not just another figure in history. He is the figure in history that all history rests upon. And he offers us eternal life if we will follow him. Many people today are still astonished by him as well. 2,000 years after Christ, there's yet to be a person able to do what Jesus did. Anybody in here know someone who walked on water? Anybody ever met someone? I went to the pool a lot this summer. Nobody walking on water there. You know, nobody. Nobody walking on water. Anybody able to turn rocks into bread? No, you're all on keto, so why would you do that anyway, right? 
Anybody here able to calm the storms and the seas and the winds and the waves? Anybody able to do that? No, none of us. There's never been a figure in history that's been able to do that. Jesus is still the only one that's been able to do that because he's altogether different than anyone who's ever lived. People are still astonished and amazed by Christ. You say, I don't know if I see that. Now, we respond differently today. You're going to see, just because they were astonished doesn't mean they reacted positively. We're going to see that in a minute. You can be astonished by someone and be astonished in a negative way. But, you know, people looked at Christ and there was something different about him. And here's what I think is different when it comes to Christ. Everyone has to make a response to Christ because we're all born with the same problem. We're all dead in our trespasses and sins and we're all spiritually starving for him. It's like something that you didn't even know you needed it until you tasted it. You know, we're always we're born just searching for that. Right. Um, This week, the family, it's always a wonderful experience when the Holmes family goes together to the grocery store. Anybody else? Anybody else with that? Right. The four of us walk in and it's like everybody starts battening down the hatches and Stacey's up here shaking her head like, please don't ever, ever make me go to the grocery store with the kids ever, ever, ever again. She goes, I will love you. You want you want me to love you forever? Keep the kids at home while I go to the grocery store in silence. Please do that. Please. She won't even click list and take the girls in the car to pick it up. All right. This is how bad it is. Okay. So we went to the grocery store together, and Stacy looks at me and said the wrong thing. She says, Derek, if you see something, just throw it in the cart. I'm like, all right, I'll do that, because I'm the worst. The kids aren't as bad as I am. So we pull up, and, and we're going through the produce aisle, and I'm like, man, pomegranate. I want to try I want to have some pomegranate. I haven't had that in a long time. Anybody ever had pomegranate? A few of you? Y'all haven't lived. Okay. So we get this pomegranate home and everything. I did not realize until this week that I was the only person in my family who had ever tried pomegranate before. So I come into the kitchen a little bit. Everybody's putting the groceries away, and I went out to do something in the yard or whatever. And we come back in. I'm going to try some pomegranate. It's almost all gone already. Like everybody had eaten it, and they're like, man, that stuff is good, Dad. I don't know where that came from, but that stuff is good. That's right. We fed our kids fruit, and they liked it. <laughs> we'll be hosting a show a little bit later on, Healthy Living with the Holmeses. All right? There you go. It wasn't even chocolate-covered, people. It, they ate it and liked it. And here's the thing. Every day this week... Either Natalie or Noel has been like, hey, can we get some more pomegranate? That's kind of like the gospel to us, isn't it? It's one of those things that it is, it, you never knew how much you needed it until you took a taste, until you tried it. So you know exactly what I'm talking about. And this is the way it is. When Jesus speaks and when Jesus is, is, is properly portrayed to our culture, it's something that people never knew they needed until they tasted it. But yet some people will still try to hold it out at an arm's at an arm's distance. And the question this morning is, have you truly ever been astonished by Christ? Which leads to the next reaction. Other people will be astonished, some will then have questions. Some will then have questions. Many people in Jesus' day had questions as well. It says in fifty four, they were astonished and they said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? As the shock and the awe began to wear off and they realized that there was just like this uncomfortable silence, people began to speak up. Where is he getting this from? Is anybody else as moved as me? Where is he getting this from? But instead of asking him to teach them more, look at their question in verses 55 and 56. So where is he getting this from? Isn't this the carpenter's son? 
Isn't his mother called Mary? Uh, His brothers are James and Joseph and Simon and Judas, his sisters. Aren't they all with us? So where does he get all of these things? They're like, isn't this Jesus, Joseph's son? Didn't he grow up playing Little League with our boys? Didn't he uh, grow up going to bar mitzvahs and doing all that stuff like, like our kids do? And here's the problem. Here's what it was. He spoke with such authority that he blew away every expectation that they had of a boy from Nazareth. Because remember, Nazareth is like the wrong side of the tracks in ancient Jewish culture. Later on, we're going to see uh, nobody had a really good opinion of Nazareth. They asked, is there anything good that can come out of Nazareth? It's like, is there anything good that can come out of Louisville, right? Uh, you know, Cards fans, pray for him, but that's about all we can do at this point, right? You, you know, that's, that's what they're asking. They're like, how does Jesus, this is the kid we saw over here, you know, growing up and everything. They couldn't fathom that he would come to such a, a place where he knew so much about the Lord. They just expected him to go ahead and inherit dad's business, open up a carpenter or keep on doing the carpenter gig and everything like that. Oh, he was about his father's business. He was just in the different family work. He was about his heavenly father's business. And here's the thing. They couldn't work it out. He blew away their expectations. And yes, we live in America, the land of the free, the home of the brave, the melting pot. But we still love to stereotype people, don't we? They stereotyped Jesus into this box that they thought he should fit in. And when he blew those When he blew that box away, they began to have questions. And the questions weren't always healthy. They didn't ask, teach us more. They didn't ask, explain yourself more. What did they say? They said, I don't understand. And many people still have questions about him that way as well. They look at the claims of Christ. They look at the word of God and they say, it just doesn't jive with what I've come to expect. It just doesn't jive with the way I see the world. It just doesn't jive with what I've come to know about God. And they stumble over Jesus. See, we don't receive Jesus by comprehension. We receive him by faith. And that's important. Get that today. If you don't get anything else, get this. They were wanting to receive Jesus by comprehension. They thought, I've got to understand him and have him figured all out before I can follow him. A lot of people, that's what you're doing today too. I don't understand this. I don't understand that. I had this expectation of Christ, and he's not meeting that expectation. And so I'm having some questions about him. Look, we are not called to comprehend him. We are called to follow him by faith. We don't receive Jesus by comprehension and understanding. We receive him by faith. And once we have faith, he begins to teach us about himself. It's okay to have questions. And get this too. Listen, it's okay to have questions. Matter of fact, it's dangerous not to. Some of us have questions just like these people in our text. And our questions come from the same place. We expected Jesus to be here in this box. But Jesus doesn't belong in a box. Jesus blows away those expectations. Some of you expected Jesus to give you a life different than the one you are experiencing right now. You expected him to cure the cancer instead of be with you and carry you to heaven once cancer had its toll. Some of you expected Jesus to end the suffering when instead he said, I'm going to be with you through the suffering. Some of you expected Jesus to give you that perfect marriage when instead he said, I'm going to be there with you to hold it together through the hard times and the good. Some of you expected Jesus to make everything just perfect. And Jesus said, I don't make the world perfect. I perfect you as you live here. See, we have these questions, and sometimes those questions lead us to the third reaction, which we'll talk about in a second. But here's the thing. 
I have really been wrestling with God. I wrestle with Jesus quite often. I have questions. The more I get to know about him, the more I get to know him, I have more questions for him. Because I've been there. I've expected Jesus to do something different than what he did. And each time I do that, I find that he meets my needs. He answers my questions, but he does it in his time and in his way. And here's the thing I've learned. If I never wrestle with Jesus, I'll never grow in him. If you never wrestle with Jesus, if you're never wrestling with God, if you're never wrestling with questions about him and your relationship with him, you're not growing in him. Following him doesn't mean just blind following and never having a mind anymore or a heart. There are going to be questions. But ask them of him. Don't let those questions cause you to stumble over him as well. And that's what leads us to the third reaction that these people had and that we often have is offense. Some people, after they're astonished and the questions aren't answered the way they want, what does it lead to? It's like, I'm offended. The people became offended by his message, by his person, by not having their questions answered. It says in verse number 57, and they were offended by him. Now that word in the Greek means, literally means to be tripped up or to stumble over. I'm offended, so I I just kind of basically walked along and I, I, I tripped over something. It was an offense in my way. So it doesn't mean they were offended like, oh, I can't stand him. They didn't run him out of town. They just stumbled over what he was saying and they lost the point and they couldn't grasp it anymore. They couldn't reason it out. They couldn't comprehend him with their minds and it caused them to be tripped up. They were tripped up by trying to figure out how Jesus could have this kind of authority, this kind of wisdom, how he could teach what he was teaching. They stumbled over him and they couldn't believe. That's what a lot of people are are doing today. They're stumbling over him and stumbling over what he says and stumbling over what's said about him or the picture that's being painted about him and they can't believe Look how the Apostle Peter described Christ in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 7. It says, So honor will come to you who believe. But for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the chief cornerstone. And a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word and they were destined for this. What Peter's talking about is ancient architecture. Many people would not go out, clear a land off, and build a home. They would find a suitable foundation, a cornerstone that was there, that was solid, and they would build there. So they wouldn't like drag cornerstones in. They would build where the cornerstone was found. And a lot of times there were these stones that were sticking, that were sticking up, and they would build roads around the stones and all that because they didn't have the technology to lift it out of the way like we do today. And so Jesus, the Bible says, was the chief cornerstone. He's the one that was meant to be built upon. But many people in their offense, they tried to move around it. They tried to remove it. They tried to get it out of the way so they don't stumble over it. And so what Peter is saying is kind of like this. Here's Jesus Christ. He's right here in your way. He's going to come face to face with you at some point in your life. And the Bible says that we all come to a place where we're going to have to reckon with Christ. He's that cornerstone that's sitting there right there in your road. You're going about your merry business and all of a sudden, bam, I'm confronted with the truth of the gospel and now I have to make a decision. And we're left with two decisions. I can either try to veer around him and ignore him. But the problem with Jesus is he just keeps moving over there. He just keeps moving over there. Why? Because he's a pursuing God. 
And so our, our only option is we can't go around him because he's always there. He's always present. So what we have to do is we try to have to remove him. And that's what takes place in, in, in culture today. We just try to remove him. We try to get him out of there. Let's remove him and everything will be fine. I'm going to try to remove him from my life. I didn't, I'm, I'm under conviction every time I go to church. So I'm just going to stop going. I'm just going to remove him from the picture. Or the other option is I'm going to settle in and I'm going to start building my life upon him. I'm going to stop stumbling over him. I'm going to start building my life upon him. I'm going to receive him as my Lord and Savior, and I'm going to give my life to him, and he's going to build me up as a strong house under a strong foundation of salvation. Many people today become offended with him. After hearing about Christ, they have to make a decision. And they realize, I can't go around him, so I need to get him out. I need to ignore him. Too many more people are stumbling over him. We keep asking question after question after question after question. And it's almost like I need to prove that he's not real instead of asking the questions for proof that he is. Some people have gotten far too familiar with him today as well. And I think that's the problem with many of our churches today. We've been in church for so long that we hear the word Jesus and it just doesn't captivate us like it used to. We hear the gospel and it just doesn't remind us of where we were without him. We forgot the pit that we were drug out of. And so we stumble over him a little bit. And so when conviction begins to set in, we don't know how to handle that as much anymore. A lot of people settle for just knowing of Christ when they need to know him personally. So we've looked at these three responses. Astonishment, questioning, and offense. But here's the response that Christ wants from all of us. And that's found in John chapter 1. Jesus wants us to follow him. Jesus wants us to follow him. While some may be astonished, it's not enough. You can have all the questions, the curiosity in the world which drives you to know everything about Christ, but it is simply not enough. You can be offended by him and reject him as your savior, thinking that you don't need him. But when it comes to heaven, when it comes to eternal life, when it comes to peace in this life, none of those reactions are enough. It only comes through following him. This is how we're able to be his children and still have questions. This is how we're able to still be his children and still have shock in our lives about him and not understand him. Because following doesn't mean I have to figure him out. Following means I'm just going to walk his path and he's going to relate to me along the way. That's what's different between religion and what Christianity is meant to be, a relationship with Christ. It's not about just a a bunch of steps that we take. It's about Jesus being with us every step of the way. That's what following him is about. I told you as we began this morning, we were in Matthew. We're going to be in John chapter 1, looking at the latter part of it the rest of the time. And this morning, for sake of... Uh, for sake of, of, of understanding, I wanted to read this morning out of the Christian Standard uh, Bible translation, beginning in verse number 35 through 50. It says this in verse number 35, right after John had declared that Jesus is the Son of God. It says in verse number 35, the next day John was standing with two of his disciples, and when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples that were standing with him heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And when Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, what are you looking for? That's a question that Jesus has for all of us. We say, I want to follow him. Or maybe let me ask you this this morning. Why are you here? What are you looking for? What are you looking for? 
And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, what are, where are you staying? And he said, come and you'll see me. And he replied. So they went and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day. And it was about four in the afternoon. Simon or Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. His first, uh, he first found his own brother, Simon, and told him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus. And when he had saw him, he said, you are Simon, son of John. You will now be called Cephas, which is translated to Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, and he found Philip, and he told him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law. And so did the prophets. And Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. In verse 46, you see Nathanael's attitude. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked him. Come and see, Philip answered. Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said, How do you know me? Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, Jesus said, I saw you. Rabbi, Nathanael replied, You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus responded to him, Do you believe me just because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see much greater things than this. Then he said, Truly I tell you, you will see the heavens open and the angel of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. We see some of his disciples, his early disciples, begin to follow him in this passage. And what we have to understand about following is so much better than these other responses that we looked at. And first of all, understand Jesus is okay with those other responses. He can handle you getting mad at him. He can handle you having questions. He can handle your shock. He can even handle your offense. But what he wants for us and where peace comes and where hope comes is in the following. All of those other things are going to come up. But as long as you are following and as long as your eyes are fixed upon Christ, you will get through those things. Because following him gives way to his authority and wisdom. In verse number 35, when John the Baptist gave way to Jesus, he sent two disciples that were following him. He said, look, there's the one you need to be following. Go. John the Baptist shut down his ministry and transferred it to Jesus at that moment. Following Jesus gives way to his wisdom. It says, I don't know what's best for me, Lord. You know. I may question it at times, but I'm going to give you place in my life to lead me. In verse number 42, Simon gave way to Jesus, allowing Jesus to change his name. The first moment that Peter or that Simon meets Jesus, he says, I'm going to change your name. You're going to be called Peter now. Who do you think you are changing? My mama gave me this name. Peter gave way to Jesus. And later on, Jesus had a purpose for that because Peter became the rock on which the church would be built. He was the rock that helped to lead the church through its early foundations. In 43, Philip gave way to Jesus when he looked at him and said, follow me. The question for us is when Jesus calls, will you answer? Following will also lead to inviting other people to do the same. When Andrew was astonished by Christ, what did he do? He went and found his brother and said, come and see the one who is the Messiah, the one that we've been looking for. When we follow Christ, we want other people to do the same as well. We invite others there. A funny thing happens when we go through our questioning, we go through our times where we are not sure about Christ is we just get real quiet. One of the best things that we can do at times when we're questioning God is to start talking about him to somebody else and tell him how good he is. Because in the seasons when we're doubting his goodness, reviewing his goodness to somebody else, rehearsing that to somebody else, can really change where we're at. In verse number 40, Andrew was astonished, but he had finally found the Messiah. 
And he began following him and invited others to do the same. Following Jesus will move past the astonishment and the offense as well. Nathaniel was skeptical. He didn't think the Messiah could come out of a rinky-dink little place like Nazareth. But after meeting him, his tune changed. Following Jesus will also give me time to work through the questions that I have. In verse 48 and 49, Nathaniel wondered how Jesus already knew him. He's like, who is this guy? How does he know me? Is he, has he been reading my FBI file or something like that? How does he already know who I am? And when Jesus basically says, I saw you coming down from the tree, it immediately told Nathaniel, he knows me inside. He knows me on the inside just because he saw me coming, but yet he knew me. It was proof to Nathaniel, this is the Messiah to follow. And folks, Jesus, when he looks at you, he sees more than just what everybody else does. He sees who you are on the inside. He didn't die to redeem your outside. He died to redeem your soul. But we spend so much time trying to work from the outside in. Jesus didn't die to redeem our flesh. Guess what? Our flesh is going to keep withering away. Our our flesh is going to get burnt in the sun at the state fair. Our our flesh is going to wrinkle. Our flesh is going to get sick. Our flesh is going to need surgery. Jesus didn't die to redeem that. He died to redeem our spirit. Following Jesus gives time for me to work through. And most of our questions with God have to do with, why aren't you fixing the flesh? Why aren't you fixing the stuff here? We don't look so much at what he's fixed on the inside. Later, every disciple would have questions about Christ as they followed him, and Jesus always answered them. He never left a question unanswered. He always answers in the perfect time. And following Jesus will always allow you to see more than you thought. I love what Jesus says to Nathaniel after he says, I will follow you. He says, if you believe me just because I said I saw you by a tree, get ready because you're going to see a whole lot more than that coming up pretty soon. You're going to see water turn to wine. You're going to see me walking on water. You're going to see, you're going to see all kinds of different things as you follow me. And for some of us today, I wonder how much of that greatness of God we're missing Because of our unbelief to follow him step by step every day. It's a daily walk. It's a daily walk. The Christian life is not just about waiting for heaven. The Christian life is about living for his glory as you're on your way there. 